The following program does not necessarily represent the views and opinions of Reality Radio 101, its advertisers and sponsors, or its listening audience. Listener discretion is advised. Hi, everyone. This is Susan Poisner, host of the Urban Forestry Radio Show. If you're a regular listener to this show, you've learned a lot already about growing fruit trees and perennial crops. But how much of this knowledge have you retained? Test your knowledge with OrchardPeople.com's free tree quiz app, where you can listen to past episodes, take quizzes on show content, and apply for continuing education credits if you like. Learn more at OrchardPeople.com app. That's OrchardPeople.com app. A-P-P. Enjoy it and enjoy today's show. Welcome to the Urban Forestry Radio Show, here on Reality Radio 101. In this radio show and podcast, we learn about fruit trees, permaculture, arboriculture, and so much more. So if you love trees, and especially fruit trees, or if you're interested in living a more sustainable life, then this is the place for you. I'm your host, Susan Poisner of the Fruit Tree Care Training website, OrchardPeople.com. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy the show. Welcome to the Urban Forestry Radio Show with your host, Susan Poisner. To contact Susan live right now, send her an email in studio101 at gmail.com. And now, your host of the Urban Forestry Radio Show, Susan Poisner. So often on the Urban Forestry Radio Show, we talk about the fun stuff. We talk about fruit trees and how to grow them. We talk about pollinators and beneficial insects. And sometimes we talk about pests. And they're clearly not really that fun at all. Fruit tree pests are annoying because they plunder our crops and they stress our trees. But sometimes I think that those little pest guys are just trying to survive. And while I don't want too many of them near my fruit trees, I don't mind if they have a little nibble here and there. Like we all learned in kindergarten, it's really important to share, right? But when it comes to ticks, I'm not quite as charitable. That's because five years ago, I was bitten by a tick. And sadly, that little bugger was infected with a nasty type of bacteria. At the time, I didn't know about Lyme disease and its relationship to tick bites. But after getting that teeny tiny little bite with a perfect red circle around it, my health declined. First, I experienced crazy, unexplained muscle pains that wouldn't go away. Then my digestive system went nuts and my face turned red and spotty. I went to my doctor and asked for help. She did blood tests and she sent me to specialists. So the doctors told me I had arthritis. They told me I had rosacea. And an infectious disease doctor told me that I'm just getting old. When we're growing older, he said, we all get aches and pains. And as time went on, my problems just got worse and worse. 
In 2017, things got really bad. My right foot became swollen and doctors didn't know why. My toes and my arms started going numb. I had no reflexes in my knees. I was dizzy and had double vision. I was exhausted and had anxiety attacks. I couldn't think properly and I could hardly work. I couldn't go for a walk on my own without getting dizzy and of course I couldn't drive. So my doctor then sent me to a neurologist who suspected I had multiple sclerosis or a neurological disorder called Charcot-Marie-Tooth. But none of the diagnoses explained all of my seemingly unconnected symptoms. Even if the doctors thought they did their job, it didn't make sense to me. Something else was wrong. So finally, a friend told me that I should be tested for Lyme disease. I had no idea what it was, and so I looked it up online. When I saw the picture of a tick bite with a circle around it, a voice inside my head said, "Uh Uh-oh. I remembered that weird bite so many years before. I had a Lyme test done in Canada that was negative, but even Health Canada says our Canadian Lyme tests are not 100% reliable. So I found a way to have a U.S. Lyme test done, and it was clear. I tested positive for Lyme. My life changed in in that very moment. I realized I could not leave my fate in the hands of the medical system, which wasn't really helping me. I had to find a way to heal myself. I'll talk about that later in the show. So, why am I doing an episode about Lyme in this radio show and podcast? I'm doing this because Lyme disease seems to be quickly spreading across North America. And it hits people like us. People who enjoy the outdoors and who spend time gardening, walking in nature, and caring for trees. In short, I'm hoping this show will save your life. I want to know that if you get a tick bite, you'll know what to do. And I want to know that if you already have mysterious symptoms, you'll keep searching and fighting for a solution and advocating for yourself until you do get better. My guest on the show today knows far too much about Lyme disease. Rosanna Magnotta co-founded the award-winning Magnotta Winery here in Ontario with her husband, Gabe, and she's going to tell their story. She's also the founder of the G. Magnata Foundation for Vector-Borne Diseases. Rosanna will talk about how to identify a bite, symptoms, and solutions. So we have lots to talk about today. But first, please do email us with your questions and your stories about tick bites or about Lyme during the live show. Or even just email us to say hi. If you do, you could win one of two tick removal kits donated to us by our show sponsor, Universal Field Supplies. We'll talk more about the kit later. So send your emails now to instudio101 at gmail.com. That's instudio101 at gmail.com. And remember to tell us your first name and where you're writing from. So now on the line, I have Rosanna Magnata of Magnata Winery. Rosanna, thank you so much for coming on the show today. You're welcome. I'm quite excited here. It's quite <laughs> an interesting topic. Oh, boy, is I'm it. I'm very passionate about. Yes, I know. Well, can we start with a little background? I know that you and Gabe were an incredible team. You started this little winery all those years ago with two types of wine. Is that true? Yes, 28 years ago uh, with two wines. And uh, we opened up shop here in Ontario 
when the government was um, had changed to the Bob Ray government, and uh, we had huge problems in Ontario. People were losing their homes, and uh, the economy had gone down. Businesses were struggling, and Gabe and I went into a bureaucratic alcohol business. Can you imagine how <laughs> difficult that was? And we had three small children. Wow. We had put up our house you know, for Hawk, basically. We mortgaged it to the hilt, and uh, we thought that we could start this winery and give it our name to it and c- continue to grow it so that we could pass it on to our children in the future. And uh, we learned very quickly that we were up for a huge fight here in Ontario. And, you know, we had a tumultuous, tumultuous 10-year battle with them which we won't go into right now, but it was a very difficult and very long and very expensive fight for a level playing field in this business. But it wasn't, it wasn't the fight of our life when, we, when I reflect back because we not only fought for our survival in the business, but the, fought, the fight that we really had to fight was, um, you know, we also had to fight Lyme disease together for seven long years. In 2003, he became ill. Uh, not knowing what he had. And it's really interesting, Susan, that your story is very, it's almost, almost, almost a carbon copy of what Kate went through. Um, he had double vision. He had balance problems. He had, you know, he's a real avid outdoorsman, and he loves his dogs. He had so many English setters. He, he adored those animals and did a lot of training in uh, in the fields and uh, in the outdoors. And, uh, um he came across this somewhere, um, I probably here in Ontario, but it could have been in Quebec or in another Ontario um, province because he frequented Alberta and Saskatchewan and out east. But Ontario was his main area, and he would go it every day with his animals. And mm-hmm. at the time, we were not really very, uh, he was not very you know, well-versed in with ticks and the whole thing with Lyme, but he did become sick in, in 03, and it presented very strangely because you know, Lyme disease is one of the greatest imitators, and it it makes you look like you have a neurological disease or a or, or, or arthritic disease, or or you know, sometimes it's even um, you know more of a psychological problem because it, it attacks parts of the brain or whatever. Mm-hmm. But his was very much like yours, and so we 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 ended up going to you know our family physician, and we went from one specialist to another, and then eventually eventually only because i was very strong in the diagnostic area because i come from the medical field originally before i got into the wine business and so i i clued in to that the test was faulty as you mentioned already the canadian test is very faulty they call it the gold standard by the way but it really (laughs) isn't the gold standard and we can talk about that later about why you know the serological test fails uh, canadians but he was negative, and then until I pushed and we had him done, tested in the U.S. and in Germany, did it come back positive? And he did well, have Lyme disease. Well, let but, me ask you though. So here, here he got it somewhere. He got these symptoms. So are you telling me that he never noticed a bite? Yes, and that's the. I know you had a circle around yours, but a bullseye rash. Actually, you won't get the truth totally, but it's starting to come out is that it can be in only about 9% of the, of the actual infections will produce 
um, you know, a bullseye rash. You can have rashes, you can have a bullseye, or you may not have anything. Wow. And the majority of people don't have anything. They don't even remember being bit. And that's interesting because, you know, even in situations where you do have bullseye rashes, who's to say it's not on your back? or the back of your legs, and you wouldn't even notice it. Yeah, you have to really do surveillance, and so that's what a lot of outdoors people, people that hike and camp and hunt, you're supposed to have a buddy system. You're supposed to check it. Even at home, if your children are going hiking and you come back, you're supposed to really look at one another and go and look in areas where they can't see. So now I don't know how long it took for you to actually um, get a Lyme test done Four and a half years. Four and a half years. So for four and a half years, you're going from doctor to doctor. And he's getting sicker and sicker. My goodness. And what were the doctors? Oh, he was in a wheelchair. He was very sick. Very sick. He couldn't talk. He couldn't write at the end. Um, His balance was so bad he couldn't walk. And this is a a big strapping guy. Oh, yeah. 240 pounds, six foot two you know, healthy as heck, you know, outside, enjoying the outdoors. He never was sick in his life. And then they put us down this road of, you know, genetic diseases. The neurologist wanted to check. It took over a year. We Hmm. lost a year and more doing these tests that came out all negative and that he didn't have any of these things. And I yelled and screamed and cried about the fact that I think, you know, I think my husband, he's an an avid outdoorsman. I'm I'm sure he was bit by something, maybe a tick. You thought so. I think he's got Lyme disease. Wow. Um, I got to say, Rosanna, we've already got an email from a listener. Now, she's from Toronto. What does she say? She says the federal government will not spend the money to get accurate testing in Canada. This is the response I got last year from Health Canada, infectious disease. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Oh, so she's attached this response. Oh, it's interesting. I, it might take me she's a little while to look. Talking about the maybe the uh, the framework, the four million dollars that the government announced that they yes. were going to give out for, and then they had these three pillars and. Yes, and, that's exactly what she sent me here. And research was in some small little print on the third, third or fourth page, and, but they were really going to spend the energy on, you know, um, basically surveillance and. Um, um, and a PR campaign. Wasn't really a, a key, a key thing. We've been fighting this from the beginning. I, I actually well, let me, sorry, let me Ottawa. just back up for one second. So I want to explain to the listeners. So this is uh, one of these canned or, you know, regular, e- you know, emails that the government sends people. If you send a, an email about line, this is what they get. And it says, you know, we have, we are spending $4 million on monitoring it. So they, they're saying this is what we're doing. And um, but what Rosanna is saying is research wasn't top of the list. No, and and I'm not, also yeah. I, I also want to point out that that the government is doing a publicity campaign that you see online saying, watch out for tick bites. And that's great. You know, we'll talk about this later, but it's great that people will now watch out about it. But what if you already got one? <laughs> then you're kind of stuffed, you know. So anyways, I'm sorry, I interrupted the you. The scenario is actually worse than that, Susan, because... The people that really are sick with Lyme are not part of the the data that they're collecting, and we're lost. And if you go somewhere else, you're not in the data in the data collection. So they have no idea how many people really, really are sick with Lyme disease. Well, and especially because it's as my situation shows in Gabe's situation, they just don't even know how to diagnose it. So how can you count count it if you can't? Exactly. You need to understand the bacteria. You need to do human tissue research. They're not doing it. No one has put money into it. 
because you need to understand how this bacteria communicates to body to your body and once you understand it you can figure out maybe there's biomarkers or something there that we can create a better diagnostic test that's more solid and, and inclusive of all the strains okay well let's go back now let's go back to your story so gabe is getting sicker and sicker he's in a wheelchair finally you realize from the u.s test and the german test he has lyme disease well, we noticed that before he was started to get in, in the in the wheelchair we just were having problems getting him treated so i had an american doctor i had a german doctor and my big concern is, okay, I was able to fund this. Like, what happens to people that cannot afford it mm-hmm. in this, you know, perfect healthcare system that we, that people seem to think we have in Canada? Yeah. So, so did you did you travel to the states to get treatment? Did you try different types of yes, treatments? I did. I uh, I tried everything, but everything was kind of late because. I got bamboozled in the beginning of it because they kept on thinking I was an overreactive wife and that my husband had a neurological condition that I wasn't accepting. Hmm. And, uh, and then they were trying to give him antidepressants because he was depressed. Mm-hmm. Who wouldn't and, be? <laughs> uh, so yeah. I kept on saying to these neurologists, but I have a positive Lyme test. Well, yes, Mrs. Magnata, you, he does. He might have a Lyme te- He might have, uh, you know, Lyme disease, but he probably has another thing like MS or ALS or you know so they were kind of you know pushing it up to the side like it wasn't important I said but his symptoms are all in line with this he's an outdoorsman he knows he was bed he was out for one hunting trip after another he's out in the brush with his dogs I think he has Lyme disease mm-hmm. well it went an uphill battle here. Neurologists so were not moving. In the States, did, was there more awareness in the States when you guys uh, went to try yes. and get treatment? And how, how did that work Well, for because you? you have a choice there. You can go to doctors that will be aggressive and t- treat you for Lyme, and then you can get the other ones that are along, you know, the CDC side, which are, you know, the, um, the IDCA or the ILADS. And so you have a choice as, a, as an American uh, which doctor you're going to get treated with. So I, I went to Dr. Uh, Harowitz. Richard Harwitz out of Hyde Park, New York, and um, he, uh, he 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 put Gabe under his care. But it was very very difficult to actually um, get there because my husband was so handicapped. It was very hard. It wasn't easy to. We had to fly, and then we had to take a, a two-hour you know car trip and everything. But a lot of people have been going to Dr. Richard Harwitz because he blends his firm or his his practice blends you know. Uh, antibiotics with a natural uh, naturopathic side so hmm. you know a lot of people were very interested in that kind of treatment but we had difficulty because I had to get him at home I couldn't stay in the US I didn't have the support system with me there and it was right. very difficult for him and I so we would do telephone uh, co- telephone uh, appointments and then we had a family doctor here that was kind of helping me along he, that doctor no longer can practice Lyme disease patients or any of these types of vector-borne diseases, he's he's not allowed to treat them. So a lot of patients were, le- you know, released from his practice wow. and went looking for other solutions. And there wasn't any in Ontario. There isn't any in Ontario even till today. So we've got another email. This is from Susan. I think she's in Ontario. So she says, and she's Susan as well. She says, "Hello, Susan. What a very very important show." I do not know why our medical powers that be here in Ontario do not give this very serious medical issue the time or money for educating and treating people 
It's a shame. Thank you, Rosanna Magnata, for your, her important and unselfish work regarding this matter. That's lovely, Susan. Well, but you know, we are making some movements in Ontario. I've been the little mouse under the rug now for a number of years. I've been working with the feds. I'm also working with Eric Hoskins, our Minister of Health here in Ontario, and I've made some very significant progress here. My goal is not only the, this research uh, facility that I've, uh, that I've, um, I've made happen here in, in Ontario with the University of Guelph, but I'm also looking at a patient care model because we really need a center of excellence or a place for people that have Lyme disease to go to and be treated humanely. And that's my focus. My whole idea is to have the, uni- the foundation is funding the University of Guelph's partnership for research, but we also need, you know, a hospital that will, you know, eventually be a place or a clinic or a safe haven where we can, we can uh, treat uh, Lyme patients the way they're supposed to be treated. And eventually through research and testing and, and support and basically creating Lyme literate doctors, mm-hmm. we can start looking at this disease in the right way. Well, so let's go back to your situation. So so you're getting, you're trying to get treatment in the States. Um, it's not successful. What happened? You know. Well, we can't, we, we were doing what Dr. Richard, Richard Horowitz wanted us to do, but we were getting pushback even from the medical the doctors here because even the doctor that was treating Gabe was very hesitant to be as aggressive as the American doctor was because he didn't have this all written in a nice textbook that he could he could basically you know follow so the college was not allowing him to be able to be as aggressive here in Ontario because we have a specific protocol for you know Lyme disease here which states, you know, you can only give so much antibiotics for a certain amount of time. And by the way, if you don't have a positive Canadian test, the doctor cannot treat you because they don't recognize tests that are done outside of Canada. Exactly. So I already was already pushing my doctor with a a positive test in the U.S. with negative tests, one after another, here at Public Health in Ontario. And we knew Gabe had... Lyme disease, because as we started giving him antibiotics, guess what? He started to improve. Mm. So we had we had a positive response for the first six months. Um, he he started having um, um, short term memory loss. Oh my goodness! I thought, is he getting like they say early onset of Alzheimer's? But guess what? When we gave him the antibiotics, his short term memory uh, was was coming back. Wow. So I knew that the, the antibiotics were working. The big problem with Gabe is that the doctors gave him solumedrol for a long time, which suppressed his immune system, yeah. which you're not supposed to give anybody who has an infection because what you're doing is you're, you're, you're dropping all the body's ability to fight. Wow. So he was getting sicker and sicker because we, instead of giving him antibiotics, they were giving him, <laughs> they were giving him steroids. They were giving him solumedrol. Wow. So Gabe got sicker and sicker, and then I decided I had been involved with the Canadian Lyme Disease Foundation. I was a director there, and through them and through their contacts, I, I honed into uh, and was able to go to Germany. Uh, I actually saw Dr. Armin Schwarzbach, who now has his own Armin Labs in Germany, but he was part of a clinic, and I dragged Gabe there, or I dragged myself dragging Gabe there. It was very difficult. 
and he wanted to treat him with uh, with uh, with antibiotics uh, intravenously, and he wanted to use biaxin. But my doctor here in Ontario would not use intravenous biaxin because, you know, it wasn't approved. And I would have to go to Ottawa to under compassionate grounds to see if I could get it, and which just was was just totally impossible to do. So I went to Germany. We were on, there for a couple of weeks. He treated him. We came back, and then we were he was given biaxin by mouth. In other words, you know, orally. And we started to have some really great improvements. Wow. And we monitored his blood through Germany and through the U.S., and we got him to a place that he was getting better. He actually started to walk on a, on a treadmill with a strap. He, was, he had done two kilometers, uh, mm. basically, the night before he died. Wow. And um, he started to have some very, very significant things were happening that made me feel that he was, you know, he might be slightly handicapped, maybe, and I was prepared for that, but I wasn't prepared for death. And then that night, which was the 30th, the morning of the 30th of December, he actually died. Wow. And that was a huge shock, and uh, we weren't expecting it. But he, his heart had a complication. It was really hard on him emotionally, up and down, up and down. We've got this treatment, this will work, mm. then it doesn't work, and then he tries something else. And as a man and as a provider for the family, and he just had a hard time watching me, you know, struggle with doctors, struggle with the business, struggle with everything. And I just think he just did him in. And wow. so we lost him on the 30th of December. How old was 2009. he? How old was he? 60. 60 years old. We had, you know what was really sad is we, this is the same story here over and over again. We fought, we were, worked hard to grow our business. And we just got to a point in our business where we could start to let go only God knows how much sufferance he did, but we were at a point where, you know, we settled with the liquor board, we had a decent growing business, we now maybe could go and travel together and enjoy life with one another, and <laughs> it was taken away. Wow. And it happens over and over, you know, in society. You hear this over and over again, and it happened to us. That's incredible. So, you tragic. know, after that, I, I cried day and night, and I wanted to give up, and it was just at one particular point after that that I realized that I couldn't give up and that I couldn't let Gabe's uh, death, you know, just go away. I had to, I had to bring some meaning to it. So uh, the foundation was born in 2012 in his name, just to basically represent or in honor of his unbelievably courageous battle with the Lyme disease and the battle that I knew he should have never lost. And, and um, I knew that at that point I had to hone in, not on awareness or any of the other things that other organizations are doing. I needed to go after the culprit here. I needed to get a better diagnostic test because the one that we have is not good. And the only way that I'm going to change the world here is to prove with no doubt, peer-reviewed, solid research you know, and that should go. Science is going to be my weapon, and that's why G Magnata Foundation was born. Oh, that's so amazing. Oh, so beautiful. <coughs> Rosanna, Gabe's story is so tragic, and um, like you, I want to make sure that every single person who listens to this show is empowered and knowledgeable so that they can know what to do right away if they get a tick bite and to help stop this terrible disease. In yes, a minute, that's really important. Oh my gosh, we knowledge need knowledge is power. It exactly. 
So in a minute, we're going to have a word from our sponsors. And then after that, we're going to dig into identifying a tick bite, removing a tick, um, how to get treatment early on, all that stuff. So are you okay holding on the line for a few minutes? I am. Okay, great. Now to our listeners, I really want to hear your questions and your stories. We've got some emails that when we get back um, after the commercial commercials, we will read your uh, emails, but I want other emails too. Have you had experience with tick bites or Lyme disease? Do you have any questions for Rosanna? Send your email now to instudio101 at gmail.com. And remember to include your first name in the city you're writing from, instudio101 at gmail.com. And anybody who emails today is eligible to win a tick removal kit donated by our sponsor, Universal Field Supplies. You're listening to the Urban Forestry Radio Show on Reality Radio 101, where we talk about fruit trees and food forests, permaculture and arboriculture. I'm Susan Poisner, the author of the award-winning fruit tree care book, Growing Urban Orchards, and the creator of the fruit tree care training website, orchardpeople.com. And we're going to be back just after this short break. easy to apply, an all-natural fertilizer to use in your vegetable and flower gardens or for your fruit trees? Why not work with Mother Nature? Layer Hand Manure is a terrific fertilizer, and this is what Actisol does by transforming the manure from their egg farms into an efficient fertilizer. The manure is dried using a technology that harnesses the heat given off by the hands. No other heat source is needed. Actisol is easy to use, safe for the environment, children, and pets. You can purchase Actisol products at your local garden center or order in bulk. For more information, visit www.acti-sol.ca. Actisol, the mother hen fertilizer. Welcome back to the Urban Forestry Radio Show with your host, Susan Poisner right here on Reality Radio 101. To contact Susan Live, send her an email right now. Our email address is instudio101 at gmail.com. And now, right back to your host of the Urban Forestry Radio Show, Susan Poisner. You're listening to the Urban Forestry Radio Show on Reality Radio 101. I'm Susan Poisner, the author of the fruit tree care book, Growing Urban Orchards. In this show, we talk about fruit trees, food forests, permaculture, and arboriculture. And it's interesting, today's topic is so important, and it's we've, we're having a lot of tef- technical issues I think there's a reason for that. <laughs> I think there's a reason for that. Um, 
It's a tough, it's a tough subject we're talking about. So today uh, we're talking about Lyme disease and many of this show's listeners spend a lot of time outdoors caring for their fruit trees, their orchards and their gardens. And so we're talking about Lyme, an infectious disease that spreads when you get bitten by an infected tick. My guest today is Rosanna Magnata of Magnata Winery. Rosanna lost her husband Gabe to the disease and is now working to promote Lyme awareness and research. So let's talk a little bit now about the early stages of the disease. What can you do to protect yourself if you have a tick bite and you don't know whether or not that tick is carrying this deadly disease? So Rosanna, do you have any idea if somebody is bitten by a tick and they know that this is a tick bite, how likely is it that that tick will be infected? on the, the percentage or the the the, um, the number that um, out of 10 how many ticks are actually carrying the Borrelia but I, I believe through my reading and my re- and speaking to researchers that it's it's definitely gone up and we're looking at probably between four and five percent four and five out of every 10 ticks may very well have Borrelia and the problem is no one can negate that because it's a guessing game on it but we are seeing more and more patients you know having these weird symptoms and eventually either going outside of Canada and finding out that they've been infected with Lyme. And and do you have any idea where in North America infected ticks are being found? We know it's new to Ontario or newer um well, that's the problem, Susan. It isn't new to Ontario. This is what the feds or the government wants you to believe. But we have signs. We know that uh, that Borrelia has been here in Canada for a very long time. Mm. There are all kinds of cases back in 1980 or 70 that people were talking about Lyme disease. And all of a sudden, sometime in the 1970s, if you remember that um, Long Point, they had the bur- the public health had the burning of all the car- uh, deer and their carcasses, and they were trying to get rid of. I was in the hospital working at that time, and I remember this kind of vaguely. But I did speak to someone who was working for public health, who was asked to go out and do all this, and eventually he had Lyme disease. Mm. So they were trying to cover wow. it. They thought by killing all the deer and burning their carcasses, they were going to deal with it. But, you know, this is not carried by deer. It's carried by the little birds. The birds are the culprits. Mm. They come into our environment, and we know we have so many birds that come into Canada from the U.S. or from wherever, and they are carrying these ticks on their backs. There's billions of ticks on their backs, and then we, they, they come into your backyards, and people feed them, and they drop all these ticks in, their, in the spring in your yards. Wow. So, and then they infect the rodent population, and then it ends up hitting the larger mammals and people. And get, humans. They, get hit, they hitch a ride on people. So it's not the deer. The deer have them, but it's the birds that come in. Now, I want to read a couple of emails. We've got one from Jazz. So Jazz says, Rosanna's story really ticks me off. No pun intended. <laughs> uh, she says, the story is so sad and really gets me mad. I would have sued. That's the only right these bureaucrats... Uh, this is the only right these bureaucrats get anything done. I'm not sure what that means. Well, I think fighting maybe brings attention to it, and that's oh. the only way you can make, you know, especially if there's an election year. You know, that's when they listen. Right. Yeah, that's true. Now you here know, we. Like, if 
if you have an election and you keep on complaining and complaining, it never goes anywhere after the fact. But when you pre-election, unfortunately, it's very sad. But that's that's just the, that's the way it works, and right. that's what I'm trying to do right now. And I'm getting the ears and the the eyes of the right people at the moment. And I'm going to capitalize as much as I can on this because this is the right thing to do. We need the truth, for goodness sake. Exactly. And if I have to put money, if I have to give money to, it's sad that, you know, a corporation or we have to put money into getting the truth out of this. But I ask the, the governments, what are you doing? Exactly. What are you doing? This is what I'm doing. What are you doing? Now, we have another email from Kathleen, and this is interesting. Um, So Kathleen says, and I'm going to summarize it a bit. It's a little bit long, but she says, my story involves our pet laboratory retriever, Birdie. That's the name. My husband and I live in St. John, New New Brunswick, one of the first areas of all of Canada where lime-carrying ticks were documented. Mm -hmm. So Birdie's now 12. She was around 7 when she began to limp. They took her to the vet. Originally, they thought it was a different problem. But in the end, it looks like they discovered um, that she was positive. Uh, She had a positive test for Lyme. She was put on antibiotics and responded well, you know, did a number on her joints. Okay. Um, She says here, according to our vet, while the medical community is very rigid about treating Lyme, the veterinary community is more open. They are. Mount Allison University is doing research here in the Maritimes, and we have sent them some of Birdie's blood to help in the research. Kathleen, thank you for that. I want to add myself that I have a contact who is also a vet who says every year he is seeing uh, more and more and more cases of pets with Lyme, but here's what he also says. He says, the owners come in and they say, you know, I'm really not feeling well. I don't really know what's wrong. And by the way, my dog is sick. And he says, you have Lyme. Go get a test and go get treated. He says, I have diagnosed more Lyme patients than most doctors have, and he is a vet. So he sends these people off. He's very passionate about it. Yeah, that's what happened to Gabe and his dogs. When uh, when our vet uh, heard that uh, Gabe, I, I was suspecting he had Lyme, he, he said, well, what's the big deal? When I have a dog that comes in that's walking kind of weirdly, I don't even wait for those results to come back. I put them on antibiotics, and most of the time they just respond beautifully. So what is the problem with these medical doctors? And the, the problem is... Obviously, veterinarians are under a different board that controls uh, their practice, but under the medical doctors here in Ontario, the College of uh, Surgeons and Physicians, they they control uh, how long you know what they des- what they describe or define as Lyme disease, and they all have to follow the party line on mm-hmm. this, and even the um, the amount of antibiotics that you're going to give, but only if you have a positive test. So. Um, MDs here in Ontario are sort of hamstrung, and I don't want to blame the doctors because it's really their marching orders that they get. Um, but if you're a patient in Ontario and you think you have Lyme, you're really out of luck here. You're out of luck. Here's we, I am sending them out to some NDs, uh, naturopathic doctors out west, because the NDs in Ontario cannot administer antibiotics. So if you want to really affect... A disease or an infection, um, 
they will use other methodologies, but if you want to be treated with antibiotics, you're, you're going to be out of luck here in Ontario as well. So NDs out west, for example, are under a different board, and I have a few doctors out there that are doing a great job with patients that I'm, you know, recommending for these patients to call and speak to these doctors. Wonderful. So we're finding ways to sort of circumvent the situation here, but it's a sad state of affairs because it costs Ontarians a lot of money and a lot of aggravation. and their families are just devastated because they're so not getting the support they want here in Ontario. We have, there's an, I got a couple of emails from Rita. I think Rita's from Ontario. The first one, she was saying that the line has been breaking up somehow. And, and I've got to tell you, Rosanna, we've never had a problem with an unclear line. So I just find it so interesting that this program is the one that is so important and uh, people aren't hearing the whole thing. But hopefully by now that's been fixed. But anyways, Rita writes another email and she says, Hi. When I visited Latvia, because tick-borne encephalitis is a reality, I began a set of vaccinations before leaving Canada and followed through with the whole regime. Three shots over time. In Latvia, even children receive these vaccinations. I don't know whether there is any relation at all between Lyme disease and tick-borne encephalitis. I've read about some kind of tick-related illnesses uh, identified in the Powassan area. Now, I just want to say that online I have heard um, discussion about a vaccine. Yes. The vaccine is a really, it, they did a vaccine in the past, but it actually backfired and it didn't work and it actually attacked people's immune system. So it was unsuccessful. Hmm. They've been working on something new, but the problem that I have here, and I've put this on my list with my University of Guelph uh, a research project is that vaccines, in, 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 and I've talked to lots of researchers, in order to really provide or, or build a proper vaccine for Lyme disease is that you need to understand this organism really well, and there's different strains of organisms, uh, uh, strains of uh, the Borrelia, I should say, and co-infections that will uh, affect a person. So let's say you create a vaccine for Borrelia burgdorferi, and you have another Borrelia that may have a different, there's proteins and sugars that are made up with these, these organisms that it's, it's very difficult to really identify exactly what your body's supposed to do in terms of this organism. So until we have a proper diagnostic test or a proper understanding of what this organism does and thinks and, and, and how it operates and what does it look like, you know, totally, you know, from a, a microscopic point of view um, or a DNA point of view, it's very hard to create something that's going to protect you from this out, out in them, you know, out there, unless you understand it all. So vaccines are on my list, but we mm. need to first understand the organism properly, and then we understand how to treat it because we know how it operates, and then you can understand how you're going to stop it from affecting a person with a vaccine. Okay. So I think there's an order here. Yes, exactly. Because if you go out with a vaccine, most likely it's going to fail because we don't even understand this right. organism really fully. So I, We understand it in a lab, but we don't understand it, how it works in a person's body. That's what I want to do with the research is that we want to understand it how, it, how it works within your body, in your organs and your proteins and maybe a DNA. Why do some people get really, really sick with Lyme and some people can actually function? Why did my husband 
end up in a wheel, wheelchair when some other ones don't. There must be something within the body, your makeup, your enzymes, your proteins, your DNA, something that affects differently with, with this, uh, that causes these effects with this organism. No one can answer those questions. We need to find the truth. Exactly. So let's, okay, we've got a lot of people listening right now. So, so I think we need to backtrack and just say, okay, so what do you do if you think you have had a tick bite, whether you've seen it or not? What do you do if you've got some symptoms? And what are the symptoms to look for? Do you get a flu-like response? So can you give people a little summary? It is. It's a really hard thing to. You need to understand where you've been, what you've done. If you have a mild flu-like condition, it could be mild, um, followed with something, things that are strange. Like with Gabe, it was red eyes. He ended up having double vision. He ended up having balance issues. There were things like that. You know, we went to the ear specialist, the eye specialist. These are kind of weird things that happen to you. Um, maybe you have more gastro problems or you have heart arrhythmia that, you know, it, it just doesn't make sense or maybe more anxiety that comes with other things. Whatever is different for you, you need to listen to your body and you have to fight. You have to work with your doctor. Please, I want to I want to see if I, you know, I think I have Lyme disease maybe because I saw a tick or I didn't see a tick, but I have these weird things and it just doesn't make sense. And you hope to find a doctor that can listen to you. Now, we are working with uh, with Eric Hoskins to try to get him to to basically, you know, send something out to the, the physician circles so that physicians won't just throw you out of their offices or out of emerges by being a little more compassionate and understanding. Unfortunately, you, you really, I have no real solution for this. This is why I'm doing what I'm doing. But if anyone is in real dire straits that they don't, they're not getting support from their, their, their doctors here in Ontario, you could email the GMAGNATA Foundation um, there is a way to contact, and I can see what, what we can do in order to uh, support, you know, or send them in the right direction, um, whether it's out west or, or somewhere here with a natural path, depending on what they have in terms of finances or whether they can go to the U.S. or not. We can give some solutions, but there's no real answer to that question. Very, now, very difficult. Now, right Rosanna, now. I know that the tick removal kit that we're sending out for folks uh, that, that mm. win the prize, you developed it. Yes. So tell me, what is the role here? Yeah. Like, if you get a bite, you get a bite. Can yeah, you actually you prevent it? It's not going to make it go away. What it will do will minimize it. For example, if you have a tick embedded in your body, you can't just use, there's all kinds of things that I've heard they use um, chemicals, they burn it, they do, you can't do that. You've got to take that tick head out of your skin carefully. You need to remove the body plus the head that's embedded underneath the skin because if you don't, the head is there. It's just going to continue, you know, contaminating your, 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 blood, your blood system. So this, the tweezers and things that are in that little kit will help you remove it safely there are vials in there that you can send it out. There is a, there's a information on where to send it. What that will do is it will you can send it somewhere and they can you know they can look and see if we've got uh, the wrong the um, the if you have Borrelia in it. So if you have Lyme disease in it. But the main focus of that is not so much about that. It's about get it out of your body as safely as possible. And then you just watch yourself. You tell the doctor if you have strange 
things happening, then you can be very suspicious that you may have contracted a Borrelia. Now, I've heard a story from a woman who went to her dermatologist with a bite and the tick was still in her. And the, do- and the dermatologist said, it's not, this is, you don't have Lyme because there are no um, white tailed deer in Ontario. Yeah. Then listen to this. The dermatologist then took out the, the little tick, but broke it in the process. No, I would insist. <laughs> I, I wouldn't leave unless he gave me at least the three weeks of antibiotics. Exactly. Regardless. It, it, well, it, even so, like if the tick hadn't sort of smushed up inside that person's body, perhaps they wouldn't have gotten it at all. That's but really sad that they didn't know how to pull that thing out. It's kind of sad. Now, we've got an email here from Alice, and I don't know where Alice is from, but she says, this is an important show. Thank you. We need to all put pressure on our government. Thank you so much, Alice. That's that's really important. Now, okay, once... Um, oh, Alice also says, Susan... Oh, she says again, thank you for the awareness. This is crazy. We need to get these treatments in Ontario. <laughs> she says, what the heck? <laughs> and there was one more email, I think. Okay. You oh. know that there's not even a consensus amongst the physicians on treatment protocols? Hmm. There are, there are some that will do it one way, some will do it a different way. They don't even have that together because they don't know what they're actually dealing with. Exactly. Here's another one, an email from Natasha, who says, Susan, I want people to know that Lyme is the same strain as syphilis and can be spread yeah. via sexual intercourse and blood. It's already in our blood bank. Yes, wow. Borrelia is actually a spirochete. So she's right. It's the same family as syphilis. But what's interesting with Borrelia it cocoons itself, it hides in different parts of the body, it changes its shape, it, it ends up getting into things called biofilms, which is almost like a, an, um, a place for them to hide. And, um, and then they, they're very hard to get to. So they're a very, very tough disease. We've got an email from Andy, and I'm really glad Andy sent me this. So this is what Andy says. So, where are we now here in Ontario? Should we be afraid to go outdoors? What is happening to help us? And No, I, yeah. I'm an outdoors person. I'm also a huge gardener. So, it's interesting, I'm on, <laughs> on your show, is I've actually built a little greenhouse at, you know, in my, on my property, and I love dealing with plants and horticulture and all that is really of interest to me. I also am an, I'm a, I'm an outdoors person. I, um, I don't hunt, hunt, but I'm actually a uh, shotgunner. I shoot targets, and I'm out in the forest. I'm out doing sporting clay and some of these other activities, which I'm in, the, I'm in, I'm in exactly the areas where it's tick infested, but I dress accordingly. I'm, I'm aware. I, I wear the proper footings, like shoes and socks and pants and I I I also um, you know I look at myself before I when I change I just make sure I put all my clothes in a in a dryer first and let it heat up to the like the highest temperature in my dryer for 15 minutes because that's the only way you're going to kill if you have a little tiny tick in there don't put them into your washing machine because they survive that and once they've been dried 15 minutes, then I put them in the wash. I so there's certain, certain things that you have to do in order to enjoy the outdoors. I, Absolutely. I still enjoy them. My husband 
died from complications to this, but I, it's not stopping me from living outdoors. You know, my feeling is that we don't, it, this is not about fear. Um, this is about getting mad. <laughs> yeah. And so getting mad is saying we have every right to go outdoors and do the things that we love to do. Every right. And nothing's going to stop us, not even these little ticks. But like you're saying, you wear with the right shoes and long pants. You check yourself. Um, mm-hmm. But the anger is going to be more useful of saying to our governments um, and saying to the medical authorities, we need to know what's going on. You need to develop and, and find out uh, what the so- solution is. Which leads to that, you know, I've put $1.4 million into this research lab. But if we can raise more money, I can move this faster. I can put more bodies into it. I can, I can do other projects that I have had to put past the three-year mark. So if people really want to help, if they can help financially, you know, to the G. Magnata Foundation, because all these monies are earmarked for the research lab as well as the, uh, the future hospital patient care model. That's one way they can help. The other way they can help is by sending letters to our provincial government or to our governments, you know, expressing their, their, their anger towards why aren't we doing more in this area. I mean, streptococcus is an infection that, you know, it could kill you. It attacks your heart or whatever. But if you go to the doctor and they do a swab or, or a quick alley spot there, they can tell whether or not you'll have strep. You know, and if you do, they put you on antibiotics right away because if you don't, it'll, it can do some unbelievable damage. It can kill you. Well, this is an organism too. This is an infection. My dream and my goal is to be able to get to a point where if someone gets exposed to a Borrelia, then they just treat it like a streptococcus infection mm-hmm. and they go on with their life. Exactly. You don't have to be a statistic like my husband. Exactly. And I think that's the thing that I want to stress is if you know you're bitten and you go to your doctor and the doctor is aware, has some awareness, um, and you get antibiotics, this won't get worse. You know, you can be cured and, and move on. If you do. The problem with this, this, this disease is if you get tested too early, you haven't, this is what I was telling you before about the serology. It's a serological test. So if you get tested too early, you haven't produced the immunoglobulins that you need that are picked up in this test. If you're picked up too late, then they don't believe in chronic Lyme disease. So you're also against, you know, in a, in a very precarious situation. So they can miss you in your acute stage, and then they can miss you again because they don't acknowledge the chronic stuff. Hmm. So a patient is just like, how are they going to help me here? Hmm. Because the test is not good enough. We cannot depend on a serological test. We have to find different things in order to identify whether you have it or not. So we've got an email from Carla. Carla says... Um, she says, I cannot believe such a simple treatment protocol for this disease is not available here in Ontario. We waste millions of dollars on crap. I am mad. Good. <laughs> she said, and you're saying good. Okay, usually we have a little um, commercial uh, here. I'm going to see, perhaps we can run a little later, um, but I want to uh, go into a little bit more detail. Oh, hang on one second. Hang on one second. You know what? I will do a commercial. If... Hang on. I'm just going to ask Gary in the studio. Okay. Is it okay, Gary, if we run a little bit late? So we sure, can run absolutely. Okay. I love my sponsors. I am so grateful for them to allow me to, to do this show and to help pay for the show. So let's just take a couple of minutes and listen to the sponsors and what they have to say. 
Listeners can continue to send your questions to instudio101 at gmail.com and Rosanna will stay on the line. And you're listening to the Urban Forestry Radio Show on Reality Radio 101. I'm Susan Poisner, author of the award-winning fruit tree care book, Growing Urban Orchards, and creator of the fruit tree care training website, orchardpeople.com. We'll be back in just a minute. My name is Mike McNair, and I'm the manager of Universal Field Supplies. Universal Field Supplies specializes in products that are used by arborists. They're professional quality tools that uh, guys that use them every day need to rely on. So they tend to be higher quality than what's found in big box stores. The Universal Field Supplies product could be used by anybody that has trees and likes to look after trees. We've all been to school for forestry or arboriculture, and we have many years of experience. We would be happy to answer any questions people have and actually ask questions of them and find out exactly what their needs are and determine what product would suit them the best. Don't hesitate to call. Here's how to reach us. Call 1-800-387-4940 or email at info at ufsupplies.com. See you soon. Universal Field Supplies has stores in Mississauga, Ontario and Port Coquitlam in British Columbia. Learn more at universalfieldsupplies.com. If you're thinking of planting fruit trees and you're looking for a wide selection of cultivars, consider Wiffle Tree Nursery. Our 62-page full-color catalog includes over 300 varieties of fruit and nut trees, berries, grapes, and other edible perennial plants. Not only that, in our catalog, we help you through the selection process with tips and advice about all aspects of growing fruit trees. You can learn about adding nitrogen-fixing plants, rootstock choices, and even about planting a windbreak if you have a windy site. We're a one-stop shop as we sell fruit tree care books, pruning tools, organic sprays, and natural fertilizers. We're located in Alora, Ontario, but we can ship all over Canada. Call us at 519-669-1349 to order your catalog. That's 519-669-1349. Whiffletree Nursery. Call us today. Welcome back to the Urban Forestry Radio Show with your host, Susan Poisner, right here on Reality Radio 101. To get on board, send us an email right now. Our email address is instudio101 at gmail.com. And now, right back to your host of the Urban Forestry Radio Show, Susan Poisner. I'm Susan Poisner, and you're listening to the Urban Forestry Radio Show. Thanks so much for tuning in. In the beginning of the show, I told you about my experience with Lyme disease and the horrible symptoms that I had. I mentioned that I didn't get much support in our Ontario medical system, and I had to go about finding a way to get better. I know a lot of people find themselves in the same situation. So you may wonder what I've done to help myself. And thankfully, while I'm still not 100%, I have slowly been getting better. And now the 
The Canadian medical system doesn't think I have Lyme, so nobody seemed to take my positive U.S. Lyme test very seriously. So I tried different things, and I just wanted to give you guys a quick list of what I've been doing for the last seven months or so. So I found a local naturopath that specializes in Lyme, and they've been treating me with homeopathic and other remedies. I go to a massage therapist who's a specialist in traditional Chinese medicine and uh, traditional Chinese medicine massage. This isn't a relaxing massage. The goal is for healing health problems. It seems to be helping. I have also been taking a really controversial product. It's called MMS or Miracle Miracle Mineral Miracle Solution. So MMS is sodium chloride that's activated by adding citric acid and it's sold online in various places as a way to purify drinking water. Now, huge caveat. Health Canada says MMS is an unauthorized drug that contains a dangerous bleaching agent. There've been reports that MMS causes renal failure. And in the States, people have been arrested and convicted for selling MMS as a drug. And yet, online, many, many people say it's helped them recover from Lyme. So with no medical options, I didn't know what to do. And I was willing to take a chance and try it. I took a really slow and cautious approach. And I am getting better, though I don't know if that's why. So again, a caveat. If you are considering it, please research it meticulously and discuss it with your doctor first. Finally, in November, I finally, finally got an appointment with a Lyme doctor in the United States. And she has a long waiting list, and I waited months and months for the appointment. By then, I was already starting to feel better, which is great. She prescribed a lot of antibiotics and herbs, and some I've started taking, some not yet. But I do feel I'm on the way back to full health. So that's what I've been doing. But what do other chronic Lyme sufferers do? In the studio, I have Rosanna Magnata, who is the co-founder of the Magnata Winery and the founder of the G. Magnata Foundation for Vector-Borne Diseases. And that is in memory of her husband, Gabe, who died as a result of Lyme disease. So, Rosanna, in the medical system, at least here in Canada, there is some agreement about Lyme. I mean, Health Canada is, they, they seem to know that it's spreading across the country. There's a new PR campaign warning us to watch out for ticks. Um, but there doesn't seem to be a chronic t- uh, treatment for chronic Lyme. Do you actually think that the medical um, professionals think that Lyme disease, if it's untreated, can just go away by itself? Is that the attitude? Well, the problem first off is that they have a definition for Lyme disease that is really unrealist- unrealistic and inaccurate. And uh, I spent uh, two and a half years arguing this point with the federal um, health department and uh, I, um, they need to embrace uh, uh, Lyme disease as more of a Borreliosis. In other words, it could be other strains. They, they, they look at it as the B31 or the Borrelia burgdorferi, which is only one of the strains. And that's where the problem is. It's the definition. So they think their test is accurate for the, because it's accurate for that one strain. But that doesn't, it's not realistic in the in the in in Canada because there is many strains of Borrelia like Miyamotoi and all the others that have been around for a really long time so until they actually acknowledge that Borrelia is or Lyme disease is made up of many strains and it is reflected in the diagnostic test and reflected in the medical community um, we have a huge problem mm-hmm. and also don't these uh, the Borrelia come along with little 
other little nasty guys that are kind of they work together. Yeah, co-infection. So, so there's lots of things that could possibly be wrong. Well, a tick is not going to bite you nice and clean with one one organism. Exactly. They're filthy, and they're going to give you more than one strain. They're going to carry along. There's going to be other little things that come along with it. So, when people come to you and they have symptoms, or maybe they have a positive U.S. Lyme test, and what do you say to them? Well, we look at the bands, and we, we look at their, their interpretation of the bands, and that's why, once again, the serological, um, you know, the serological test the, that they do, the Western blot or the Ali spot that the ELISA that they do, it's, um, in Canada, it's only based on pretty much one strain. In the U.S., they've opened it up to a few other um, strains, so you have a better chance of being positive. But it's also in the interpretation. If you have two of these bands or it's one of this or three of these, CDC has kind of set, you know, what is a positive Lyme test. And the problem is that Canada has just copied what CDC is doing in the U.S. And we are missing a lot of potential Lyme patients because they may have two of this or one of that or doesn't have that one. But, you know, if you look at uh, Europe, they may very much consider that a positive, and yet we've told them they have a negative. So those people end up going into the little bucket of chronic Lyme disease, and we were talking about that earlier, and I think you brought it up again right now, is that if you have a nice clear cut, you know, yes, you're positive, and then you're lucky to get your three weeks of antibiotics in the beginning, then what happens to the individual that wasn't wasn't earmarked as a positive but maybe really was a positive it just depends on how they interpret those results then they become chronic nothing seems to help them they either get misdiagnosed which is even a huge problem because now they've called them ms or parkinson's or alzheimer's or chronic fatigue and all these other ones that get confused they give them drugs to affect that type of an illness versus you know maybe they just needed antibiotics and so we get that number of people that are bucketed off to the left that are are it's terrible for them because they're never going to get better if they really have Lyme disease and then you get the others that they don't know what they have and we have lots of those people in Canada and they consider themselves chronic Lyme but the system does not acknowledge chronic Lyme Mm -hmm. so they think it's just whatever reaction is left to your body you your Lyme is gone and whatever you're picking up is just the aftermath yeah, I've got to say, one of the doctors that saw me, he was quite arrogant, and he said to me, if you got a tick bite, if you got Lyme four years ago, you it's wouldn't gone. have it anymore. Yeah. I, I just looked at him and thought, oh my gosh, really? Then why do you guys treat patients who just get a bite? Why bother giving them antibiotics if it's going to go away on its own? But we also know yeah. that they come, they produce biofilms. Yeah. There's lots of research on this. These organisms, they protect themselves. like They're really smart things. Yeah. And then they cover themselves with this jelly matter, and they hide. And when they, you become debilitated, this is why I was a little concerned, because you're getting better, but you have to keep a really close watch, because what will happen is as you become stronger, they kind of hide. And then later on, maybe in a year from now, if you haven't really truly got rid of it, and you become debilitated, maybe you're sick with one infection after another, or you're under a lot of stress, these little buggers come back out. Wow. Okay, we got a couple more quick emails, and then we'll wrap up for today. But one is from Cody. 
Um, hi, ladies. Thanks again for all of this great information. I'm appalled about our medical system here. Well, we're, you know what, Rosanna? We're getting a lot of people mad, so I guess that's a good thing. It's going to get better. <laughs> I, I, can, I, can, I can assure you, all you listeners, I'm going to make it better. I'm going to work hard. You're going to help me, but we're going we're gonna to bring change, and change is always hard to embrace. Oh, that's incredible. And listen to this. We got uh, an email from Dwayne. What beautiful email. Thank you, Dwayne. Is there an organization that we can donate to to help this cause? Thank you. So tell us again the website that we can go to. Yeah, I know you've donated. There are various ways you yeah. can donate. We are a fully charitable organization. You get a full tax receipt. You go to the G. Magnata Foundation, and you will, you, you will click on Donate, How to Donate, and you can donate by, you know, um, calling into, um, uh, to a, you can do it by visa or you can do it by check. Whatever is your thing, we will accept it whichever way. Great. And I know and that, that money yeah. will all be earmarked for the, re- it goes to the University of Guelph Research Lab. And I want to develop that lab into a center and into an institute. I have huge plans for that. I want to be able to work on Lyme disease and then eventually on other co-infections or lichiosis, all these other little things that come along with Lyme. Oh, that's incredible. And Rosanna, I know you put a lot of your money towards this. A lot I did. of your money. And I will continue to do that because I believe, obviously, in this cause. It is close to my heart, and I deal with Lyme patients every day. In many respects, I deal with Lyme more than I do with my wines because my winery is truly my heart. I built it from scratch, from very small. But, you know, I came from healthcare, and I really, truly believe that this research facility and this whole project is really who I am. It's my soul. It's really who I am, and I really want to. I really want to make bring change to people's lives, and this is the only. This is the best way I know how to do it. Well, before we wrap up, two people who sent us emails will get free tickets that you designed, Rosanna. So let's yes, see. Yes, the G Magnata Foundation and Can Lime is on that ticket. But yes, you can order them. You can go to the website. We, we, we ship them everywhere. We have them at every one of our Magnata stores, by the way. If you're close to a Magnata store, you can buy them and or you can be sent online. And I Perfect. thank Universal very much as well for, for providing them. They are a great thing to be thrown into someone's backpack oh, yeah. or in their camping gear or in their, you know, anywhere in your car. They're, they're a great little tool. Okay, so do you want to know who our two winners are? I do. Okay, so I have a little um, container here with a bunch of email whatever, little ticks of pieces of, not ticks, little pieces of paper. So the two winners were Carla and Jazz. And you guys will get an email from Gary, uh, and we will clarify where you live, and we're going to send these directly to you. So thank you. Thank you for everybody who emailed us and participated in the show. And Rosanna, thank you so much for being here today and sharing so openly. And I hope I've been able to shed a little bit of light on a little bit on any, any of your listeners because that's the only way. We're pioneering this right now, and I need so many people to carry the message. Excellent. Oh, well, thank you so much, and you be well. Thank you. Okay, goodbye for goodbye, now. Goodbye, everyone. <laughs> Bye-bye. That was Rosanna Magnata, co-founder of the Magnata Winery in Ontario and founder of the G. Magnata Foundation for Vector-Borne Diseases. The Urban Forestry Radio Show is over soon for this month, and I hope you really learned a lot from the show. 
Check out my website at orchardpeople.com if you're interested in other resources for people who love working outside and growing fruit trees and perennial edible plants. Now, next month, there's going to be a special guest host for the show, and it's Steve Biggs, author of Grow Figs Where You Think You Can't, and he's going to be talking about growing olive trees. Now, if you live in the colder provinces and states and you think you can't grow olive trees, be sure to tune in because you can. And we are going to learn about that next month. You're listening to the Urban Forestry Radio Show on Reality Radio 101. I'm Susan Poisner from the Fruit Tree Care Training website, orchardpeople.com. Have a great month, everyone. to the Urban Forestry Radio Show on Reality Radio 101. To learn more about the show and to download the podcast where I cover lots more great topics, you can visit orchardpeople.com podcast. The show is broadcast live on the last Tuesday of every month. And each time I have great new guests talking to me about fruit trees, food forests, and arboriculture. If you're interested in learning more about growing your own fruit trees, or just about living a more sustainable life, go to orchardpeople.com and sign up for my information-packed monthly newsletter. If you like this show, please do like our Orchard People Facebook page. You can also follow me on Twitter at at Urban Fruit Trees. Thank you so much for tuning in. It's been wonderful to have you as a listener, and I hope to see you again next time. Thank you for listening to the Urban Forestry Radio Show with your host, Susan Poisner, right here on Reality Radio 101.